I don't know what the crap you just said. <laughs> but okay. You are weird sometimes. Thanks. You're weird sometimes. Is that better? Like if I say it more enthusiastically? <laughs> Hey guys, here's what's coming up. Next week on March 8th, we will be discussing our top 10 favorite villains. Then on March 15th, we have a special episode with an extra special guest. Bethany Finger from the Prince Kai Fan Pod is joining us for a talk about Marissa Meyer's newest book, Instant Karma. We had an absolute blast talking with Bethany and we hope you'll all tune in. And now on with the show. Welcome back to the Book Life Podcast with your host, myself, Mo, and my best friend, Abby. Tonight, we are talking about our February buddy read, Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik. This is the, I would say, it's not really a series, it's more of a standalone, but part of a newer series that she's writing. The first one being Uprooted, that we also did as a buddy read way back in 2020 at some point. Who knows when that was? And then this one came out, and we're like, oh, yep, we got to read this one, too. And we decided that we should do a buddy read. So thank you so much, everyone who's read the book with us. Ronnie, I think Sydney did, and Elizabeth did. Did anyone else read with us? I think that was our group this time around. Awesome. It was so much fun reading with you guys. It was such a great book. Abby, tell, tell me some of your thoughts. Oh, my gosh. I love this book so much. There were so many twists and turns and it was just, it was an epic ride. And listen. I'm so glad we did this as a buddy read so that I could talk to people about it. <laughs> you know, at first I was like, why does Abby love this book so much? Then I kept reading. And then I was like, this is a good book, right? It was quite interesting. It was different. It was definitely a lot of adventure, a lot of twists and turns. It was a little dark. And I was kind of like, whoa. But then I got into it and I went, oh. I know why Abby loves this book, and we'll have to talk about it in the second half of the episode. But <laughs> once I, I got there, and I, I was like, oh, oh, okay. I'm like, this is one of Abby's favorite kind of books. I, I, was, I, I understood. I got it. I see why you loved it so much. Was there an actual specific point where you were just like, yep, that's it? Mm, I want to say about 75% of the way in, like suddenly like everything clicked and I was like, that's right. Oh, oh. And then like, hey, let me tell you, I just kept going. I'm like, why did Abby say she loves this book so much? Cause you finished it right before I did. And then it just kept, and I was like, they're not, but they are. And then they did. And I'm sorry guys that you don't know what I'm talking about quite yet, but some of you might know. And then it all made sense. Oh, goodness. Okay, well, you'll have to tell me exactly what happened that made you think that. Oh, I will. When we get there. Okay, I definitely, definitely will. So, shall we jump into some fun facts about Spinning Silver and Naomi Novik? Oh, for sure. So, one thing that's super exciting is that this book won the American Library Association's Alex Award in 2019. The 2019 Locus Award for Best Fantasy Novel and the 2019 Audio Award for Fantasy. Oh, it won an Audio Award? Okay, I wish I had listened to this book instead of reading it. 
Because an audio award, guys, if you don't know, that's those are the awards given out for like the best audio books. And I completely thought when I read this book that this would have been so much better as an audio book because I will talk about it later, but I got confused a lot, which kind of frustrated me. This book was also a 2019 Hugo Award for Best Novel nominee and a 2018 finalist for the Nebula Award for Best Novel. Two of my favorite ways to pick a book is if they've been a Hugo Award winner or nominee or a Nebula Award or awardee or nominee. Yeah, I would honestly love to listen to the audiobook of this. I think it would be fantastic. Right, that's kind of what I thought too. And I was I I struggled a lot with this. Hmm. I'm sorry to hear that. I think that's why it just took me so long. I mean, because usually I'm pretty fast on reading, but I drug my feet a lot with this book. Also, fun fact, this book, I wouldn't say goes like super deep into Jewish heritage, but it was interesting to learn because this book has a lot of information about like the Jewish quarter and some Jewish traditions. But I didn't know that um, Naomi Novik was Jewish until today, until I read this fun fact about her. Yeah, when I was looking up these fun facts, that was one that was just like, oh, well, this needs to be included because there's enough Jewish heritage and traditions and just their people in general that are included in this book. I was like, wow, that's a very obvious connection. Like, she knew what she was talking about. Which I thought, I mean, it made a lot more sense and some of the stuff that we'll talk about later. Mm Mm-hmm. And then finally, I like this one. She read Lord of the Rings at age six. I'm pretty impressed with that. I am very impressed with that. I didn't read that until sixth grade. And I'll be honest, I didn't retain a lot of it. I'll be honest, I read that in high school. So, yeah, good good for her being six, good for you being 12, and me, I was 16. I mean, to be fair, you probably retained more of it than I did. To be fair, you would think so, but I don't think I did either. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, teach their own. I know. Well, since we've done a little bit of intro about this book and about the author, let's talk about probably one of my favorite topics that we talk about, the characters, because I love a good character. Do you want a summary? No, I forgot about summaries. Hey, Abby, can you give me a summary? Because I just bypassed straight to the characters. I worked so hard on the summary, too. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Can you tell me? I'm sorry. The summary? All right, I suppose. Okay. In the country of Lithfoss, the winters are getting longer and colder, killing more and more crops and animals and people each year. The Stark come with the winter raiding for gold and killing as they please. Everyone knows it is the Stark who caused the long winters. But what can mortals do against immortal creatures with terrifying strength and power? Miriam is a young Jew living in poverty because her father is too kind-hearted to demand back the money the other people of the village took from him as loans. Finally, when her mother falls ill and cannot seem to get better, Miriam takes matters into her own hands swiftly taking over her father's money-lending business with a cold efficiency he was never able to muster. In so doing, she discovers she has a gift, a gift for turning silver into gold. If only she hadn't said so in the hearing of the Star King. You're right. That was a good summary. It gave me some chills. 
Thank you. Like I said, I worked hard on that one. You did a good job. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. (laughs) All right. So why don't we talk about the characters now? Okay. Okay. I am prepared for the characters. To start with, the first character that we are introduced to is Miriam. She's a young Jewish girl with an analytical mind who is unafraid of the cold and calculating when necessary. Not considered pretty, she discovers she has an incredible talent for money lending after she takes over her, for her father, who is too kind-hearted to collect money on the debts owed to him. Her father is Papa Josef Mendelstrom, a soft-spoken moneylender whose kind heart leaves his family in poverty until his daughter takes over his business. Then there's Mama Mendelstrom, a kind-hearted woman who hates seeing how cold debt collecting makes her daughter. Grandfather, Mama Mendelstam's father, Miriam's grandfather, a well-known and wise mini-lender, takes Miriam under his wing when he sees her talent in the business. There's also other characters that Abby's going to finish because I, my mouth is tired now from saying all that crap. <laughs> all right. We also have Wanda, the oldest of her three siblings. Her father is in debt to the Mendelstams, and Miriam has him send Wanda to work for them in order to pay off the debt. Sergei is the middle child. He is a strong young man. Stefan is the youngest child, quiet, and he follows Sergei around. Their father is an abusive drunkard. Irina is the daughter of a duke. Not pretty, but she has stark heritage far, far back in her lineage through her mother. Magreta is Irina's old nurse, who is like a mother to her. Magretta considers Irina to be her child, even though they aren't related by blood. And the Stark King. He is a cold creature made of ice. He brings the winter and makes it last longer and longer every year. He allows his people to raid human villages, stealing gold and killing as they wish. All right. Well, and I see there's a note here of more characters we cannot talk about so this is weird for us guys there are characters so normally you know how in the first half of the episode we talk about the summary talk about the characters there's characters we can't mention because if we do they'll spoil the story yes how crazy is that pretty wild not gonna lie i don't think we've ever had a book like that where we couldn't even mention some of the characters i told you guys this one was a wild ride it really was now you had How did you read the book by chance? I got the lovely floppy paperback that I love so much. How many pages is it? 480 pages. So this is a, I would say, a good length novel for sure. Oh, yes. Like, it was not short to read. I read mine as an ebook. I balanced between my tablet and my phone, just depend on whatever I had in my hand at that time to grab. Oh, man. How how long did it take you to read it? I mean, now I gotta think. I started it on the first with everyone else when we started the buddy read. And I finished it, ooh, so either late the second week or early in the third week. I don't remember exactly. But I got through it pretty fast considering all the crap that was going on in my life right then. Definitely. I was going to say, I, it took me about 20 days to read it from start to finish. If this had been an audiobook, this is an 18-hour-long audiobook. So, guys, this story is nice and thick. 
Yes, this is a book that I, even in the paperback form, I could probably damage somebody with. That is a very important distinction. We sh- we definitely need to know if the book can damage somebody. Thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all we have to say for this half of this episode. When we come back, we are going to tell you the characters we could not mention this time, get into our favorite characters, our least favorite characters, get into the meat of the story and really what our thoughts are all about. And we'll see you all in a second. Talk to you in a minute, guys. Bye. Hi, I'm Michael. I'm Barbara. And I'm Lauren. We are the hosts of Badass Literature Society, a book review podcast where we take book recommendations from listeners like you, read them, and then discuss them on our show. Join us once a month as we dive into the books you picked and talk about them. And don't miss our bonus episodes covering all sorts of random bookish topics that come out in between reviews. Don't worry, if you want to read one of the books, the first part of each episode is designated spoiler-free, so you can listen and see if you'd like to read it, and then come back and listen to the rest later. You can find Badass Literature Society on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, and anywhere else you like to listen. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, guys. And remember, this half is spoilers. So, if you didn't read the book with us or haven't read it at all, stop right here, go read the book, and then come back and talk to us. So we're going to start with the characters that we couldn't mention because spoilers. And I, I, I started putting these guys under the regular characters and I thought about it and went, you know, I don't feel comfortable talking about this in the first half because there's too much, you know? Yeah, I totally can get that. They're very hard to talk about without spoiling the story because they are very much heavy to the plot, especially the demon. Yeah, like, the demon was a big reveal, and even though he was a character that needs to be talked about, like, shoot, I didn't know there was going to be a demon, so I didn't want to tell anybody else. hmm So we have the Tsar, Ranatias, who is the son of a witch, and the witch made a deal with the demon to become the Tsarina, which she did for a little while before they burned her at the stake. Yeah, <laughs> kind of rough, not going to lie. Yeah, uh, yeah, yikes. So then we have Chernobog, who is the Sars demon. And the other three that we need to mention are Fleck, Sop, and Chauffeur. These are the three Sarek that Miriam befriends while she's in their kingdom. And she's also the one who gives them these names, which is apparently a big thing in their culture. So... Yeah. It was, I, I really enjoy Fleck, Sop, and Chauffeur. They were so interesting. But yeah, so all of these characters are all very pivotal, I feel like, to the plot of the story. Oh, for sure. So, speaking of characters, Abby, I would love to know, who are your favorite characters of this novel? All right, so I really did love Miriam. It's so rare to see an analytical main character. Normally, main characters run on emotion and feelings, which is fine to a certain extent, but I just, I'm a generally more analytical mind myself. And so finding a character who's just like, this is the logical thing to do, and that's why I'm doing it. I'm just like, (gasps) 
Yay! <laughs> I like you. <laughs> so I just, I loved her analytical mind and her intelligence. I loved that she took over what's normally considered a man's job and got it done like a boss. Like, she gave no quarter. She made sure it happened. She looked at the villagers around her and went, none of these people give two craps about me or my parents. They, If they did, they'd be paying my father back the loans so that we wouldn't be starving. Mm-hmm. And she takes that knowledge. And when she's tempted to feel sorry or be lenient with somebody who doesn't want to pay back a debt, she just reminds herself of, where were these people when my mother was sick and I was starving? And just... I loved seeing, don't get me wrong, I like compassionate characters, but I also love seeing somebody who goes, these people have no compassion for me. I will not have compassion for them in this because they would not hesitate to throw me back out into the cold. It's getting it done and taking care of your own and just not being emotional about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I also loved that even though she was afraid a lot, she never let it stop her. Even in the face of the Star King, who could have killed her without a second thought, she was constantly standing up to him and not letting him cow her or not letting herself be back. She didn't didn't let anyone cow her, which I was pretty, like, I don't know. She was very good at standing her ground, and I really admired that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just, I loved everything about her character. It was wonderful. I mean, she was a good character. She was a very strong main character. Yes. I also really loved her grandfather. I just appreciated the support that he gave Miriam when he saw that she had a talent for the business. And that drive that she had. And I loved how he immediately took her under his wing and started giving her pointers and advice. And he never once talked down to her or acted like she couldn't do it or shouldn't be doing it because it was a man's job or she was a girl. So she was too dumb. It just so supportive. So good. I loved it so much because you would expect the grandfather in the situation to be old school, this is a man's job, you shouldn't be doing it. But instead, he's just like, well, shoot, she's got the talent. Hey, let me give you some pointers. Here's what you should probably be doing to make better on your investments and, like, that kind of thing. Just like, good grandfather, good grandfather. Well, and sometimes, you know, how we mentioned that she's Jewish and we see a lot of Jewish traditions in this, too. You know, we do see a lot of value in the Jewish culture of how they do lift up I feel smart women you know mm-hmm. especially like whenever like reading through the Old Testament I always feel like and it's not true for every single case but the the women who are mentioned in the Bible are always exceptional women they're always uplifted by the men around them I agree for sure mm-hmm. and I thought that was a bit of a parallel yeah between these characters and the Old Testament yeah It was so refreshing to see a mentor-esque male character being uplifting and supportive 
of a young female character, you know? Oh, yeah. I completely agree because you, you don't really expect to see that. Exactly. Especially when her own father wasn't supporting her decision to oh. try and get the loans back and actually keep them from starving. Yeah. 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 So then I also really liked the Stark people. I mean, obviously, the three that we mentioned earlier, uh, Flex, Sop, and Chauffeur, are the ones that you really get to talk to. But in general, I really liked their whole system and setup. And I honestly wanted to know more about it because it sounded so cool. And it felt like there were so many intricate rules that Miriam didn't understand. I was like, dang, I want to know all the rules. What are all these rules? I honestly would have liked to explore more of the culture and spent more time in there. Like I felt like at the end of the book, you know, we were there for six months throughout the rest of summer or so, however many months. And I was like, okay, yes. And then it was like, well, about this. And I'm like, really? Like, I would like to read more. You know, I want to know more. Like, we've had, we spent all this time. Why, why didn't we get to do it? Yeah, I would have liked if there had been more showing and less telling right there at the end. I mean, don't get me wrong. I understand why she did it because the main story was over. It was time to wrap it up and she probably didn't want it to drag too much. I know. But I would have enjoyed seeing a little bit more with a little less telling. But, you know, it is what it is. I still really liked it. I think it would have been cool if there had been like a chapter or two stuck in there that was from like Flex point of view or Sap's point of view, one of the two. I mean, we had enough point of views, why not? I know there was there was so many point of views to begin with. I was just like should have stuck that one in there just so we could have gotten more of the Stark culture and learned more about where Miriam was actually misstepping. I don't think I could have handled any more <laughs> point of views. That that was a gripe that I'm going to talk about later. But I, I had a lot of trouble following the story because there's so many people to follow. Like so many point of views to follow in a first person point of view. That's understandable. All right. So what characters did you like? I was really fond of Wanda. So out of the three main heroines, there was Miriam, Wanda, and Arena. But the one that I really resonated with was Wanda. And I loved that because she was just this, her resilience, her quiet demeanor, how she found a way out of her literal hellhole, essentially. And she had, I felt, the most profound character growth because she was broken and defeated. And then she was fed the seed of hope. And she made it grow. She changed her circumstances. You know, she didn't let herself be sold off by her father for three pigs or for jugs of alcohol. She, you know, was trying to pay off her father's debt. And she kept saving all her and her brother, Sergey kept saving all of their pennies and not telling their father that they were getting paid. Just so that way she could break basically the chains of being controlled by her dad. And then, like, she was resentful of her brothers because she blamed all the pregnancies of what this what finally killed her mom. Because she also lost her mom and five baby brothers as well. 
but that all of that kind of broke and it got torn away and they became closer as a family when they started once their dad was got out of the picture you know they could mend all of those bonds again mm-hmm. and i just really liked i just really just fell into her story and her story was always my favorite to read mm. so that's why she's my top favorite character i really liked her too i enjoyed that she latched on to Miriam's teaching of uh, math and numbers and all that so quickly. Mm-hmm. I like that she called it magic, that she called reading and writing magic and arithmetic and everything and how she is, you know, how she just, she was very smart and she just never got educated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's part of why I liked seeing how quickly she latched on to what she was being taught. Because like, you were obviously very smart and just being held down. By your circumstances. Mm-hmm. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah, she was a good one to follow. I really liked her, too. So I also liked the other main character. So I liked Miriam. I wasn't, like, really wild about Miriam. But I really... Irina's story, once we got out of her father's house, I loved how shrewd she was and how calculating. Like, I totally did not expect her to be that way because she was so just mousy in her demeanor kind of me kind of like okay I'm the the daughter who got shoved up into the attic closet because she's not beautiful and she's not useful so her dad just kind of threw her away but she has this quiet strength that she just exerted once she came into power as the Tsarina and she was as altruistic as she could be in the whole story, because she did her best to provide for the people of the kingdom. You know, like, she recognized that the Tsar had absolutely no interest in ruling, but she had observed everything her dad had done, paid attention to all the political alliances, and she just made a web and manipulated it, you know? Mm-hmm. The only thing I wish we had gotten more of is at the very end between her and the czar, I would like to have read a concluding chapter about them. Yeah, I was expecting more of an ending for them. Like, it was very obvious where it was going, but I was like, I kind of wanted a little something more there to just Mm -hmm. do a cemented wrap-up. Right? It kind of was like, I, I, I thought it was coming, and I kept reading, and I'm like, are we not going back to them? Because I kind of would like to know, like, what his thoughts were. And, I mean, I kind of got a vibe, but I didn't get anything else, you know? Yeah. And I did like Irina, too. She was she was mm-hmm. a great character. I really liked how she took all her years of observations, having been shoved aside and just put aside by her father. So she observed all those years, and so she took in all the information and she used her brains when she was in a position where she needed to think about this kind of critical thing. Mm-hmm. She was amazing. Like she was definitely, I don't want to say built, but, or trained, but she walked into this role and she owned it. Yes. And then I would say last, I feel like you mentioned it too. You mentioned really the, how did you say it? The Stark people? I really latched on to Fleck, Fleck's daughter, Rebecca, Sop, and Chauffeur. Like, I 
I love these characters. I wish I had gotten one point of view from one of them at least, or even the Stark King. But in general, I just loved how Miriam pulled them all into her scheme to change these three giant rooms of gold, gold wasn't gold, of silver into gold. And she's like, guys, just shove the other crap into the tunnel. It doesn't have to be in the storeroom. Let's get this done. And they, and they did it. You know, like they overcame this huge feat. That was like one of my favorite parts of the book. Oh, the book was right there. Mm. And then they became her, her loyal, I call them citizens, people, persons, not servants, but they became loyal to her. Bondsmen. Bondsmen. Yes, that's what the term they used. And I love that, like, she changed their buttons to gold and she gave them names. And I also really was touched when Fleck brought her daughter Rebecca to Miriam. And I felt like that's, you know, Miriam's turning point right there where her heart just melted and she started to feel sympathy and attachment to these people. And, you know, because she had grown so cold because she, you know, was shunned by the village because she was the money lender's daughter, but she had a patched up dress and nothing better. And then she actually did her father's job and they resented her on the other side of the spectrum because she took all their money back that she they rightfully owed them, you know. And she had all this coldness in her and it just started melting and her loyalty was also drawn to the Stark. Like, I just love that scene where she's getting ready to leave and go to her cousin's wedding. And that was probably one of my favorite scenes right there. Can I just say, I loved the bit of world building where it was Fleck basically brought her child to Miriam and said, will you name her? The only way she can get a name is if the father agrees to it, but he'll ask that I marry him, basically, and I don't want to marry him anymore, Mm -hmm. and that's the only way she can get her name. So she'd basically Mm -hmm. be completely nameless if Miriam hadn't given her a name. I thought that was so cool because it shows the layers and rules for relationships in a stark relationship, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, I wish we could see more of this kingdom more. Right? I just thought that was so cool. Like, oh man, (laughs) that was something I hadn't expected. Like, a kid can literally live their entire lives without a name because the father won't claim them. Mm -hmm. Like, holy cow. Well, and then like, you know, in the book, it was alluded to when she kept asking what to call the king. And he's like, you already took my birthright or patrol or my bed, whatever crap words he used, you know, he already she married him and took him and he's like you want my name as well and i was like oh names are sacred excellent tell me more what's going on here i know i really liked the importance that they had for names right all right so let's talk least favorite characters okay let's dive into it do you want to start because <laughs> i feel like you're, you're waiting for me to ask would you like to start Oh, oh, I have some rants about these. <laughs> okay. Well, you have free reign. Enjoy some rants. <laughs> okay, so the first one on my list of characters that I don't like is Wanda's father. The moment I met him, I wanted him dead, and I was so freaking glad when he finally died. 
couldn't have happened to a more deserving person. It really couldn't have. Right. I, he, he's constantly beating his kids and getting drunk and generally just being a horrible, abusive person. He beat his pregnant wife when she was alive. Like, ah. I know. I know. If there wasn't a more useless citizen of the village, it was him. Oh, I was just, I was so glad when he died. And then I got really annoyed by the villagers all over again when they were trying to haul in Wanda and Sergei for his murder. I'm just like, are you freaking kidding me? Are you freaking kidding me? Y'all know what he's like. Are you kidding mm-hmm. me? Oh, I know. <gasps> I didn't put them on my list, but all the villagers, I hate all the villagers. They all suck. Not a single one of them was decent. They really just weren't. Well, and part of it, too, is, like, there was a prejudice against Miriam's family because they were Jewish, which she alluded to as well. And there's also the prejudice against her family because they were moneylenders. But then they also weren't helping Miriam and Sergei and Stefan at all. Like, they knew their father was his awful drunk, but in their culture, in their society, the man, no matter how awful he was, owned the kids until they came of age, basically. Right? Well, so I was like, this entire village just sucks. I, was, I wouldn't say the village, the whole society sucked. That too. But ugh, all these villagers just so self-absorbed and wanting to keep the status quo and just, ugh, they all suck. So, the next one on my list is Chernobog, who is the SARS demon. Demons just need to go back to where they come from. He was terrifying. I hated him. <laughs> I see he's on your list as well. He is. Abby, I had a huge problem with him, okay? Uh-huh. Because all I could think about was Howl's Moving Castle and Calcifer. And I was so mad that this fire demon was essentially evil. Like, Calcifer is, like, not as evil. I mean, he's not good. He's more neutral, maybe chaotic neutral. But this, this demon, he he was full chaotic evil, you know? He was no good. He wanted to devour the Stark Kingdom, and he wanted to devour the Sunlink Kingdom, and he wanted to devour everything. And I was so mad because I kept wanting him to be Calcifer. Because I kept equating the Tsar to Hal and the Spire Demon and Calcifer. If you're looking for a Hal's Moving Castle comparison, this Fire Demon would have been more like the Witch of the Waste Fire Demon. And the Tsar would have been more like the Witch. I know. I know. It's just... I kept trying. I kept thinking maybe he would have some redemption or something. No, you were thinking of the wrong wizard, honey. <laughs> I know. I know. I know I was. Okay. I I can see where that would trip you up. Yes. I just kept waiting for it. I just had these expectations that weren't there. I had no expectation that the fire demon would get any sort of redemption. He was too awful from the get-go. I know. Like, when you meet Calcifer... He's kind of funny and not wholly evil, but there is nothing redeemable about this one. That's fine. Uh, All right. Who else? So the next one on my list is the Tsar's mother, the previous Tsarina. She's a witch, but she was also 
as bad as the demon, in my opinion. What kind of person agrees to let a demon inhabit their unborn child for the rest of that child's life just so you can get a crown for a little while? I I know, I know. I, I didn't think about putting her on my list, but she, in the awards of worst mother of the year, does she beat Bethesda? Yes. Ooh. Ooh, that's hard to do. Okay, listen. There's going to be a demon inhabiting your son for the rest of his life. Or you personally are just trying to kill your son for the rest of his life. With schemes and whatnot. I mean... Or or you enslave your entire daughter's clutch of eggs and made them into your own servants. Okay, yeah, but she got a beat down for that. I know, I know. And she is a mortal creature who can be defeated. A fire demon is an immortal creature. You can't tell me being possessed by an immortal fire demon isn't worse than just occasionally having to fight your mother. Okay. Okay. I mean, I'm with you. I'm, I'll, I'll take it, okay? Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, this woman didn't even physically show up in this story, and she pissed me off. oh she did a lot can you imagine how much angrier i would be at her if she had actually been in this story (laughs) no i i i I believe it oh so yeah i absolutely despise everything about her and it's just ugh, ugh. do you do you want to do your other one before i go off into my tangent yeah, I should. So my other one, honestly, I had trouble getting behind the czar and feeling pity for him. Like, I understand his whole life was one giant abuse after another. But he was also so vain and conceited. And I just did not enjoy reading anything from his point of view. I was just like, yes, your life sucks. Sorry that you have a demon in you. Like, I'm like, you don't have to, like, be a giant poop the whole time you know <laughs> sorry you don't have to be a giant poop the whole time <laughs> this is how I felt about I was just like he's just like everyone likes her and they're all looking at her and not looking at me and I'm like okay peacock calm down for a hot second like <laughs> sorry you're no longer the middle of the attention like the I only started liking him when more of his characteristics came out like his drawings and everything, but it's still, I was like, okay, sorry that you had to get married to her. Sucks to be you, buddy. You know? Yeah. He was one of those characters that like, I knew he was going to have some sort of story that would make me feel sorry for him. But for like the first 60% of the time that he is in the book, I was just like, wow, what a little peacock. Just absolutely vain, self-centered, like, what are you even doing? <laughs> right. Just made me it's crazy. Anyway, you tell me. You just go on your rant. Tell me about your rant, because I see you have a whole paragraph about this. <laughs> uh, all right. The last two characters that I didn't like were Miriam's parents. Don't get me wrong. I know they're kind-hearted people. They're worried about their kid. 
but it's their own fault. And it just, it drove me up a wall how hypocritical they were being about the whole situation. So it's their fault that she had to take over the business in the first place. And yet they're turning around and acting like she shouldn't be so cold and they're upset that she's being so cold and they just don't support what she's doing at all. And that drove me nuts. Like, y'all wanted to starve? Because that's where you were going. You're so freaking kind-hearted that you are literal doormats for everybody in your town. And you are going to die for that. That's what you're telling me. You'd rather die being a doormat. It just... Oh, my God. I know. They were definitely extremely frustrating. Like, I understand that they were so nice, but I'm like, you have to eat. You have to do your freaking job, you know? Well, this is a case of two bleeding hearts raising an analytical child, and it makes them come across as annoying in the first half. And just ugh, absolutely ridiculous. I don't think right. Miriam was being cold at all. In reality, she's she, the only person in that house with the will to get crap done because she didn't want to starve. Well, she didn't want her mom to die either. I mean, she did it so that makes sure her mom had food and medicine. Right, exactly. I mean, if I was a money lender and people weren't paying me back and my kid was going hungry, you better believe I'd be bursting into people's houses, pounding down their doors, giving me, telling them, Give me the money before I beat you. Like, my kid's not going to starve because you don't want to pay your debt. Right. I just, that's also what pissed me off about her dad. Like, you are watching your kid starve. You're watching your wife get sick and not be able to recover because she's also starving. And you're trying to tell me you're kind-hearted? Bull. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> I know they were supposed to be, like, these nice, sweet people. And I'm just like, dude, there's a limit. And y'all surpassed it and didn't do anything about it. And that makes me mad. I agree. Because they also could have gone to Miriam's grandfather as well. Like, you know. Mm -hmm. It was, like, all of these things where it's, like. There were so many other options. Yes. It was, like, if. Even if they'd said, forget the debts, we're just leaving with the clothes on our back and gone to her grandfather and been like, set the dad up with a different profession that he doesn't have to do this. Mm -hmm. It's just anything. I'm with you. I, I know. I, I was like, you guys are just not, I don't know. I'm like, you're not being adults. Like you're not taking care of your family the way you're close to. Right. Especially, it'd be one thing if it was just the two of them and they didn't have any kids and they decided that they were too kind-hearted, they were just going to starve. Mm -hmm. Fine, that's on you guys. But you have a kid that you are clearly failing. Ugh, just, ugh. Irresponsibility parading around as kind-heartedness, and I don't like it. I don't like it. I understand. <sighs> All right. So, let's move on to something more pleasant. 
Let's talk favorite scenes. I love favorite scenes. All right, you go first then. All right, so I have a few of them. Mine are kind of like, I wouldn't call them weird. I, I, I love shiny objects, and I love, so like there was a scene where Miriam took the silver to the jeweler that was engaged, well, who wanted to be engaged to her cousin, and she's like, turn this into, the silver into jewelry. And every time they, from the ring to the necklace to the crown, it always, I mean, it had a sense of urgency to it, but it also had a sense of wonder and magicalism. And just like that, when someone could take raw material and make it something beautiful, that sense of wonder, that real life magic was in that scene. And I always, I just loved each and both, all three of them. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree. Those scenes in my head were so pretty. Mm-hmm. Yep. And was it just me was, or, like, every time I pictured the crown and the necklace, they looked different in my head? Like, for every scene. Sure. No, I just thought the crown was nice and pointy and shiny and silver. <laughs> I just, I kept picturing, like, different styles of crown every time Irina was in a scene with wearing it. Nice. <laughs> I, I mean, it kind of fit in my head because it was magical silver. And so there was nothing saying that it couldn't change shape. This is true. <laughs> I completely agree. Anyways, sorry. That's where my brain went every time. <laughs> that's okay. What else did you like? Um, we mentioned this earlier, but I loved whenever Miriam interacted with her grandfather, especially when after the Stark had been captured and she felt guilty about it. She's like, Grandpa, I owe a debt. What can I do? And then he helped her. You know, like she pulled him away from his schmoozing with the other old people, men, you know, the village. And she's like, I need some help. And he's like, I got you. Hold on. And then he told her, all about the secret patches, um, passage and how to get there and how you know only the rabbi and this one neighbor and him knew about it. And it was just like, he basically, because it was like the, um, the back door way out of the Jewish quarter, out of the city. But if anyone ever found out, I mean, obviously, you know, there might know, may not know. But once she got the king out of there like that, secret passageway for the Jewish people would be closed to them, you know? So he put the whole fate of their people into her to save the precise person that she put there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so like, just like that whole scene through that was just like, I don't know. He put a lot of trust and faith in her and put a lot of, not power, but a lot of, I trust your judgment. You will make the right choice. Here's all the information you need. Go forth and do it. Yeah. I and I really like that. grandfather showed up. Mm -hmm. I mean, at, at first I was kind of like, meh. But, you know, like after she showed, quotation, her worth, and they become became close, and it worked out really well. Mm -hmm. I see you, too. Talk about the little house and the cottage. Oh. The little house. I love that freaking little house. Oh, I did too. It was the best. I want that um, house. I like, I like how stuff just kept manifesting and appearing. Like, it made me think maybe, like, the witch's magic was lingering still. Yeah, I thought that first 
at first too, but then I realized it was the two different storylines happening at the same time. And they were literally just things bouncing back and forth between the two worlds. Well, and but not just that. Remember when the Stark King went into it and suddenly a whole other bedroom manifested and all of these pantries and cabinets manifested like those were not mentioned i don't believe like i'm like were they even there oh yeah you know in the other world it's a house that just keeps expanding as you need it to right Uh i loved that about it it was pretty legit what was so fun when like one and sergey find it at first and they're just like oh it's this little rundown hut but we need to get shelter somehow and they mm-hmm. find this garden, and then they find the stuff for wood cutting, and then they find the stuff to build a fire and fix the chair and the bed, and just like one thing after another, is you slowly find more and more stuff that the house is just manifesting, and then the things between the worlds start popping up back and forth. Yeah, that whole thing was just so cool. I could have read an entire story just based around the witch living in that house. Right? <laughs> I loved it. Oh, that was that was so great. I loved that little house. So, tell me about another scene that you loved. I really... Okay, so you know how I'm a sucker for a really good battle? Oh, yes. So, I loved when we... The demon was unleashed into the Stark Kingdom, is wrecking just havoc all over the mountain and everybody's trying to fight it and Miriam gets into the mountain, runs through all the passages, goes back into where um, the source of the water is like, you know, from the waterfall and everything that the demon is drinking, which is basically where all this gold is and she and the demon are fighting inside the mountain and she ends up just forcing all the sunlight into all the gold and just pushing him out of the kingdom and closing the crack with the gold and sealing the kingdom away from him forever. I loved all of that. That was so cool. I loved how the mountain was basically re- repaired, like how the Japanese repair their pottery by repairing it with gold. That's exactly what I thought, too, when it happened. Mm-hmm. And that whole scene was just, like, intense and good and it was fast-paced and exciting I loved it. And I loved how everything came to a full circle that all of the silver that she turned into gold ended up healing the mountain. Yeah, that was a fantastic action sequence. Mm-hmm. It was delightful. And lastly, I thought the ending was awesome. Like I said earlier, I wish I had more resolution with Irina and the Tsar, but the ending with Miriam and the Star King was great. I loved how like she spent these six months there helping repair everything. She made ledgers for them to figure out like what they had to fix and bring back. And then on, you know, her leaving when Flick and Rebecca and Chauffeur and Sop all come out and all, all of these people just like came out. I loved it. Like she, she became beloved, you know, Mm-hmm. I loved the ending. Minus wanting more for Irina and the Tsar was just... Uh, Miriam's ending was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, I also really loved 
the scene where Irina casts out the demon at the end, because the steps up to it were so deliberate that you didn't realize the full impact of what was going to happen until it was already happening. Because she's made this claim to the demon multiple times to leave me and mine alone. She doesn't want anything else from him. She keeps telling him that. And the demon agrees every time, like, yeah, okay, whatever. And I just loved how her wording came into play. Since, as the Tsarina, she could claim everybody in the country as hers and protect them. Mm -hmm. Because she hadn't specified who hers were. And... I love that the ring came into play again and how it permanently freed the Tsar from the demon when she put it on him and just, like, cast him out. I thought that was cool. And I adored how the demon found his end at the hand of the chambermaid but who plunked a bucket of ashes on top of him like she would put out any other common fire. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that was fitting. I was like, man... Add insult to injury, why don't you? <laughs> it was pretty hilarious. Oh, that was great. I chuckled. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I loved that. Another scene that I forgot to write down that I really enjoyed was when I realized how Miriam was planning to make sure that she got through all those storerooms of silver, turning them into gold in time. I love that her solution was literally... Chuck everything in the third storeroom down the ha- down this hall. <laughs> and just call it done. <laughs> because technically it wasn't in the storeroom, so she didn't have to change it. <laughs> right. Oh, man. When I realized that sh- what she was doing, I was just like, yes, yes, smart girl. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Oh, best solution. <laughs> And I just, I really enjoyed this story, watching how Miriam, Wanda, and Irina's stories intertwined, and how the actions in one of their storylines affected the others, without them even knowing it. There was a lot of intertwining of storylines in this that just worked so beautifully together. I loved all of it. I know, I agree. It kind of made me think... A lot of, like, the butterfly effect, like, one action here was touched by everything else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. For sure. All right. So, so good. Least favorite scenes. I, okay. I will just say I didn't have any. So there's that. You didn't have any? I didn't have any least favorite scenes. None? None. What about even when... Wanda's dad was beating her? No, because he got his in the end. I know. Okay. Fine. Like, there was nothing that left me unsatisfied enough to dislike it. That's really good. I admittedly, I did not like Stefan's narrative. I know it read like a young boy, but it got very hard for me to follow. kind of didn't like Irina's old nurse either. Like, her stuff, I was like, uh, okay, can we get through this bit? And that's what I did. That was, like, my least favorite things about the book. Like, they're not even scenes. It's literally just the jumping of the narrator. Because it was first person, just really, like, there were, like, two or three paragraphs. I'm like, 
who am I even like reading about right now? And I'm like, okay, I know who it is. And you kind of start picking up faster the different ways that they think and talk. And, you know, because the writing was different between the characters. Mm-hmm. But that's what I didn't like about the book in, in general. Oh, not really a least favorite scene, just a gripe. Okay. See, and I liked the way all the different first persons were written. But, I mean, that's also a personal preference thing, so I can understand well, you, how you wouldn't like you, that necessarily. You like first person, don't you? I like first person when it's well done. I'm... And, I mean, and this was well done, but it's just, yeah. In general, I think I like third person better, but I like first person when it's well done. I like first person like Marissa Meyer's first person. So speaking of Stefan, was it just me or did he read as being on the autism spectrum? He completely could have. I didn't I did not think about that at all. I just thought he was a very young boy who has been, you know, raised by a sister and brother, abused by a father, malnourished as well. Okay, so the reason I was wondering about it is because early on when it switches to his point of view, he talks about how words are harder for him and how he speaks more slowly. And when he's having to tell Miriam's parents about what happened with his father accidentally being killed by his siblings, he tells uh, Miriam's father... It's going to take me a while to tell it all. And her father's obviously like, just take your time. Mm -hmm. But then when they go to the city, he's so overwhelmed by all the noise and the light and all the new sensations that he has to curl up in the wagon until they get to the Jewish quarter in the house where it's quieter. Yeah, I mean, even then he was given earwax for his ears to dampen the noise when the wedding was going right, on. That was the only reason he was able to go downstairs to the wedding, was because he had mm-hmm. the wax in his ears. Yeah. That's why I was like, it feels to me like he was written to be on the spectrum. Yeah, I mean, very much could have been. I mean, I could be completely wrong, but that was my takeaway for him. Yeah, I'm... I thought you were in person and looked at me. I'd just be shrugging like, yeah, that that sounds good. Good theory. Thank you. (laughs) So, you know, guys, let me know if you agree with me or not. I would love to hear other takes if anybody else thought the same. For sure. Well, Abby, I would love to know your final parting thoughts before the evening. All right. Well, I gave this book five stars. I consider it even better than Uprooted. It was wild, fantastic ride. And I just, I adored every moment of it. There were so many twists and turns to this that I didn't see coming that it just made the whole story exciting all the way around. And I can definitely see myself rereading this at some point. Oh, yeah. I want to listen to it. I really want to listen to the audiobook of it now. Yeah, I think I want to listen to the audiobook. Man. I really appreciated that I had more than one couple to root for between... Irina and the Tsar, and then Miriam and the Star at King. Because I was expecting Miriam and the King. I was not expecting mm-hmm. Irina and the Tsar. And so I went, oh, there's more than one main couple in this. 
I like where this is going. Because, <laughs> you know, I like me some romance. And it wasn't very heavy on the romance, really. <laughs> I know. I like that part. <laughs> I know you did. But I also loved seeing women helping women and not being petty and catty about it. I always enjoy seeing that in my fantasy books. And I loved oh, for that sure. we got so many female protagonists to root for and so many point of views from them. I'm pretty sure the only male point of view we actually got was Stefan, wasn't it? I feel like that is very accurate. Yeah, because there was Miriam, Wanda, Irina, and Irina's nurse, and then Stefan. And those were the five point of views that it kept switching between throughout the book. Mm -hmm. So of the five main points of view, there was only one male. The other four were female. And so I just really enjoyed how women-centric and women-heavy this book was. I did too. I I don't know. I always enjoy, I like reading books with a strong female character. That's one of my favorite kind of books to read. And this is definitely one of that. For sure. So what did you give it? Well, I only gave it a solid four stars. And I think I gave it a solid four stars just because of my gripes with all of the different main characters jumping between point of views that it just kind of was like, it was just hard for me to pay attention and follow it. I had a lot of trouble getting into the book a little bit because like I would be really invested in one character and one chapter and suddenly I was dragged away to somebody else. And I was just like, ugh. And it ruined my groove that I had. And so every time it changed point of views, you know, I kind of took a break from reading and it, it kind of paused and I walked away and then I came back and it took me forever to finish the book, honestly. But in general, like my, have just all of that, I'm sure is definitely a five-star book. I definitely agree with you. One of my favorite, favorite things is that in the very end, Marion's mom and dad are living in the co cottage with Wanda and her brothers and Marion calls Wanda and her brothers, her sister and brothers. Like that really got me because like Wanda and her siblings got a family, Marion's, you know, parents could spread their love more and it was just like happy endings all around yeah i did love that miriam started considering wanda a sister before that as well and then mm -hmm. when they're all in the cottage together she's like yep this is my family these are my brothers too but yeah i thought that was really sweet i loved it it was just like the perfect sweet ending and then of course you know, she made the Stark King basically do all the Jewish traditions to marry her. And I, I just loved it. everything. The ending, like, highlighted the book, honestly. Yes. That was a great ending. It was a great book. It was a great book in general, and I'm really glad we all read it together. I am, too. I'm very glad I had people to talk about it with as I was reading it. <laughs> right. I can't wait to hear what they all think of the ending. Ugh. That'll be fun. Oh, I know. All right, Abby. We are at the very end. I think it's time to say goodbye. I think so, too. All right. Good night, everyone. Thank you for joining us for our February buddy book read about Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. If you liked what you heard today and want to help us spread the book love, drop us a rating on the app you use or share the episode post on your preferred social media.
Everything Helps. For a list of the books we talked about today, visit our community page on Facebook at The Book Life Podcast and search under Files. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter under the same name. If you'd like to contact us directly, you can email us at thebooklifepodcast at gmail.com. The song is Theme for an Unmade Anime by Katie Benoit from her album Dominique. You can find Katie on Instagram at K, the number 8, T, B E N O I T, and on Spotify under her name, Katie Benoit. Thanks for listening. Till next time.